Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's Market Call. I'm Dan Nathan. I'm joined by Carter Braxton Worth of Worth Charting. Today, Guy has the day off. Today's episode is brought to you by FactSet Financial Data and Analytics, powered by tomorrow. And of course, we are powered by Open Exchange. Carter, welcome, bud. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, let's figure some things out together. And listen, you know, it's funny, you know, today was an interesting day because we had, you know, that late week action last week. We had the, you know, the really not a great close for the NASDAQ was down, you know, a little more than 2% on Friday. Some of our favorite names were absolutely getting schmeistered, as you might say. And it was interesting, like a lot of that whipsaw action that we were seeing that, you know, like Shopify on Thursday was up 9, 10% and on Friday down 11%. We're seeing a lot of that sort of price action. Talk to me a little bit about that because you know over the weekend I was having a conversation with some friends and you know my history in markets especially in those sorts of names that are moving like that that's not particularly bullish it doesn't mean that we're particularly washed out yet I'm just curious about that late week action which was on a holiday shortened week sure so I think if one were to hold Friday aside right yeah. it was a generally a positive week and it was only Friday that made the week negative. In fact, if you look at the VIX close week over week, it was essentially unch. And in and of itself, I don't think Friday meant much. And actually, look at today, we, we to some extent on the highs, we had unwound Friday's weakness. I think the major issue is this, that after a five-month sell-off of 30% for the NASDAQ 100, 30% for the Russell 2000, 20% for the S&P, does the sequence call for this sort of stabilizing slash bouncing? And it does. And what we know is almost a reason why it has to be is because you're getting people coming out and saying the greatest people of all, I meaning hugely wealthy, successful men like Jamie Dimon, saying it's hurricane time. <laughs> Look, his own strategist is saying the exact opposite thing. The hurricane, that started long ago. And while it doesn't mean we can't go lower, when you start hearing headlines about hurricanes, eh, it's usually right to be contrary and take the other path. Yeah, no, and it's interesting. Listen, I, I mean, you and I, are we're going to butt heads on this over the next few weeks. And I think you're going to be right. And I think I'm going to be right. I think we're going to get to your levels and then we're going to get to my levels. Because at this point, I'm not saying that I think it's a great press in the market. But when I see the sort of opening that we had today, I saw the, uh, the QQQ, the NASDAQ 100 ETF, it was trading at 312. And you know, by 1230, it was trading below 306. Now, we bounced a little bit here. And I think this is the battle that's going to be fought over the next few weeks as we get to the end of the second quarter. But one of the things that I think is rearing its head again is yields, you know, and we got to this point with the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield where it almost got back, Carter, to those highs from a few years ago when the Fed did pivot. I think the high in 2018 was, you know, three and a quarter percent, and we know the S&P 500 sold off 20% and, and what felt like a straight line in two, in two weeks. Let's look at this chart here, uh, the 10-year U.S. Treasury, because it did hit those levels and it came off pretty significantly. I'm just curious, and I know you brought your own charts. I like my charts really kind of very simple here. What's your take on yields here? And if we were to kind of get above those kind of multi-year highs, we'll kind of work through what that means for stocks too. Right. So the sequence since the peak in rates in 79 to 81, depending on where you want to measure it with a two or five year or 10 year, is intact, meaning each move up, such as this move from the lows of COVID to present, represents a lower high. And you've depicted that there. We were unable to get above the high it was October 9th, 2018, yep. at 12594, almost 126. And so here we are, yes, 
we're almost at three. We're trying to get above yeah. that 3.26. And so does it really matter whether we go above or below it? Not really, because the long-term downtrend is intact. Now we know you could, and I do it all the time, but you do too, you draw the trend lines. I like the log scale. Everyone was looking at arithmetic, but the log is the one that matters. We're above the trend line, but barely. I don't think rates are really going anywhere in a meaningful way. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, I'm in that camp too for some fundamental reasons here, but you know, we have a 40-year log chart here and you know, to your point Carter, I mean like literally to the penny as you would say, you know, on on almost every instance on the way down, you know, it was rejected here and then we had what felt like obviously for a whole host of very specific reasons, we had the 10-year you know, go to basically zero, right? And, and, you know, everyone had been calling, you know, I think in 2012 and then in 16 and then in 19, when we got to that one and a half percent bound, you know, you would hear terms like generational lows, right? So here we are on this 40-year log chart and we're just above that downtrend, which seems pretty important. There's a lot of kind of smart market minds out there who think that that breakout means something. So walk us through what yields, where you think they're going near term here, and then we're going to talk about what it means for stocks. All right. So in principle, a move from a shocking low, and if you forget the intraday lows of COVID, the real lows are 50 base points, right? To a prior high or a difficult level, before you can really move above that high, it doesn't matter whether it's a stock or a currency or commodity or a yield chart, you have to contend with it. And that's exactly what's happening. So one, we have not taken out the October 9th high of 2018. And we are stuck here now for one, two, three months. And the principle is likely to be that we're going to be stuck here still. The big question is, does it really matter if it goes to three, three, five or three, four? Oh, fun here. Look at, look at so the same charts you have, but let's just draw the lines quickly. So this is no drawings. Now let's go back and forth. Let's do the next one. And you basically can see what's coming. Let's do the next one. It's a classic head and shoulders bottom. There's the neckline, but it's already done its measured move. Put the arrows in, final chart, and it's the symmetry of it all. And guess where it stopped? Right where the chart would suggest. And so independent, it's only if we start going to four and a quarter, 505, something that it matters. Three, I mean, because big deal, we went above the trend line. Did it matter? And we go to yeah. three, four, one, and that's going to matter for someone doing three to five year DCF work on Microsoft. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Well, I, I think the uncertainty of, of kind of where rates will top out is, is mm -hmm. one of the things that I think is causing some investors who think that valuations in the stock market have not corrected, you know, wholeheartedly. I mean, yeah, you know, when rates started going higher, I mean, literally to the T, you know, in November, when the Fed pivoted and said, we're going to battle inflation, we're going to start raising interest rates. That's when the highest valuation, most speculative sort of stocks started correcting, right? And so when we think about this year and the hurricane that you said that's already existed, over the last five months or so, that really is in some of the largest caps, some of the biggest names in the market where their valuations weren't as egregious as a Zoom or a Peloton or, you know, some SaaS names, right? But what they were were really high, you know, relative to their history. And so here we are with rates going higher and growth probably slowing and margins going to be compressed. Some of those big names had to have that valuation compression. We're going to hit a couple of them in a second here. But talk to me about the S&P 500. Here's my chart. Again, as simple as simple can be. I'm using your 150-day moving average. I see this little bounce that we've had. The S&P was down 20% from its highs at its recent lows here. 
We've had that bounce, call it a flag, whatever the heck's going on here. You see it in that kind of cluster, right? Where we're, there was some support earlier in the year. And then if you want to go back to kind of last spring, walk me through your charts because they're obviously, they're well, both on facts that years are much nicer. Just what it is. No, no, it's, yeah. it's where the overhead supply begins, right? It's yeah. where purchases were made anywhere between February and April before the real final down leg there. And while that doesn't have to be the final, final, this throwback, this bounce, 10%, depending on what area you want to look at, leaves it at a difficult level. The real question is, do we carry a little further? That's my hunch. And you'll notice that the other counter trends made it back to the 100-year average. So for fun, this is the more, let's say, enduring. That's an important head and shoulders top, right? It's It represents a reversal formation. doesn't matter what you call it. Now, if you look at the next chart, we have a minor head and shoulders bottom. Let's toggle. The first one, the second one. So which has implications? The bigger the formation, the more important. This is a minor head and shoulders bottom in the context of a fairly major head and shoulders top. And so where this concludes, I've got an arrow here that might lead the way. If you look at the next chart, it shows us and then the final chart, I've projected where the 150 will be. So take that away, put it back, take it away. That dotted little line, that's where the 150 average will, if you just calculate as prices off the back end of the moving average come off, which are lower. So I think we can throw a little further here. I think there's a lot of doubt about the bounce. And my hunch is it's got a little room to run. And yet, like all counter trends, it will stop. Yeah, that makes some sense to me. I mean, just so you know, when we're in the throes of that kind of like last leg lower, you know, I was kind of picking at some stocks and I kind of yes, felt that way. No, and, and, and you know, like, so for me, I feel very neutral right now from a trading perspective. And to your point, like, could we see get through 4,200, a quick beeline to 4,300 or 4,350, like, you know, your 150 days right over there. But, you know, a big part of that, and, and again, I, so I don't want to like kind of lay out shorts or take some longs off until things get a little bit bit overdone to the upside. And I think your levels make perfect sense, especially with that downward sloping 150 day that you're looking at, which is also, you know, maybe gets you back to that level where we broke down about a month and a half ago or so. All right, let's, let's talk about this one because this is important. You know, a few weeks ago, you made a fairly bearish near term bet lower on the US dollar. And I just think it's interesting that oftentimes, you know, people like yourself will say that the technicals will lead the fundamentals or if you're going to extrapolate it to something else. And now, Again, what the Dixie, the US dollar index was doing on a chart really didn't make a whole heck of a lot of importance for, let's say, a company that is kind of, you know, dealing with a strong dollar that has lots of sales overseas, right? And so when they make those sales overseas and they bring them back over here, that's less. Well, Microsoft last week had that very issue. We talked about it late last week. I didn't think that pre-announcement was particularly necessary given the scope of it. But what they're doing is signaling a little bit, right? They're saying that there's lots of headwinds. Here's one of them. And this is one that we can easily quantify. So my, my question to you is we had that multi-year high in the Dixie at 105. We know half of that is the euro. We know a large part why the euro has been weak of late. But when you look at this thing, you look at that one-year uptrend, you look at where your 150-day is at 98 and a half, where does the Dixie get to? Because if it were to follow, if it were to check back to trend, that might be really important as we get through the end of Q2, Carter, and as companies, especially multinationals, start to guide for Q3, because that might basically say that was a little three-month blip or so. Well, that's right. And currencies are such a big thing for some companies and not at all. So let's take the first, the reciprocal. United Healthcare, biggest healthcare stock and a top 15 stock, its uh, exposure is zero. Right? It does healthcare in the United States. So that's obvious. Then you've yep, got the yep. other extreme. 
technology sector of all the sectors has the highest exposure to currencies followed by staples because the big multinationals selling their bread and their jelly and their soap all over the world, they're exposed. It's hard and analysts spend a lot of time trying to get this right and companies don't. And then they tell you on their earnings report, hey, it, it was a problem. My hunch is that dollar does work lower. And that also is some part of the reason I think that the throwback, the bounce of the S&P can continue. Yeah. And one of the reasons why that's important for me, for somebody who tracks a lot of the companies, what they're saying on a quarter to quarter basis is that, you know, to come out and kind of blame the dollar for weakness, especially if there's a large like probability that it comes back in, you know, it's like, like, like listen, what are, what are they speaking to here? There's probably speaking to an environment. Again, like I said, just before there's a lot of headwinds. Let's look at Microsoft here, because one of the issues, Carter, that I had with Microsoft is here's a company that people really feel good about the management, their strategy, the recurring revenue, how they've made a move into other businesses, which have just kind of defended some big, big moats here, double digit earnings and sales grower per year, but the stock still trades about 28 times this year. I know you don't care about that. When they get done with this quarter, they're going to guide for their full fiscal 2023. And it still trades about 25 times, you know, X cash, it's cheaper, but, you know, expected EPS growth about 13% again, and you don't care about stuff like that. 14% expected sales growth. Look at this thing was not able to get back to, okay, is that a 280? Is that an arbitrary line? Maybe it is. Talk to me a little bit about what you see on this chart in Microsoft. Well, the first thing that, that should jump out to anyone's eye, not that they should, is that why does it look so similar to the S&P? Because remember, the S&P <laughs> doesn't go up or down. The parts, the individual yep. stocks go up and down, and they inform the chart of the S&P. Is this a head and shoulders? Of course it is. Big stocks like this are what make the head and shoulders in the S&P. And what we also have is a bounce, just as we had in the S&P, and the bounce is back to a difficult level. Regardless of where that red line is, and the red line is as good as anywhere, it's where the dead bodies are, overhead supply, where purchases were made at higher prices, and that when we were on the lows of three weeks ago, that money was substantially in the red. And the human condition is when something rallies back to cost basis, many people say, thank goodness I'm out, I'm whole get me out. And that's only one type of supply. Then there's the other. Not only is people who bought poorly being made whole, it's the most hapless lucky person or the most astute hedge remitter who bought at the bottom. All of a sudden you got a 10% return, 12%. You want to book that. And so the real question is hard to know how far into overhead supply can you rally? We're into it now. We're backing and filling. My hunch is it goes a little further. Yeah. So we got to hit to, you know, when I started in the business 25 years ago, Microsoft was a newfangled tech company. It, it no longer is anymore, Carter, but you had a note on worth charting and you people can find it at worthcharting.com. Carter does exceptional work and he has reports that go out every day going into greater detail about the, some of the stuff that we're talking about here. And he also talks to some of the biggest institutions out there managing big money. So you guys want to check that out. This note this morning on worth charting, talk to me a bit about this because I, I loved it. You had an alternative title. You had relative strength tech winners but your alternative title was dull tech, old fashioned tech. Talk well, to me yeah, about it. I mean, whoever wants to talk about IBM. I mean, you know, IBM, if you think about IBM or Sanmina or Hewlett Packard, but a lot of these are exhibiting just the things we want as the tech sector itself has been really wiped out. A lot of these are 52 week highs, if not multi year highs. And so that's important in a world where maybe returns are going to be more muted. Let's take IBM. You got a four and a half percent dividend. You know, it's well covered. That kind of thing will ultimately attract capital. And so the thought was to single out names for individuals who might be interested in tech and for, of course, the institutional 
client base looking for alternatives within the very beaten up tech sector. Yeah, I guess the big part there is like, you know, I think some of our viewers know how you do your work. You don't have the tickers on there for the most part, right? When you're looking through thousands mm -hmm. of charts and, you know, it really doesn't matter what the underlying is, right? Especially if technicals are a really important input for your buying and selling. So I think that's really important. Like I might have, you know, a view of IBM as a dull tech, you know, name from the eighties and the nineties, but it might be a great setup opportunity. So talk to us because you brought a bunch of different names here and you have some good data and it's kind of getting me to think a little bit that some of the stuff that was kind of out of favor or just out of thought, you know what I mean, could be setting up as good trades. While some of the ones that we just talked about, a Microsoft that was a market leader at 6% nearly of the S&P 500, nearly 10% of the NASDAQ 100, maybe they have more room to go down. Or the things like you're for like a CRM or that kind of stuff that yeah. bounces, but I mean, you know, the bounces feel very sort of yeah. short term. So we, I think we might have some charts here, but if, there are a lot of old line names, and it's weird to say old line, that are toying with breakout prospects. So juxtaposed against the sector, which is, again, NASDAQ 130%, these are stocks that not only aren't down, they're exhibiting characteristics, very impressive. So there were 33, let me just tell you how it came up. There are 370 stocks in the Russell 3000 designated as tech. If you get rid of things below um, a billion market cap, that reduces the list about 270. We singled out 33. Now, just look at those columns. I didn't want them to come out like this, but look at the one week, one month, three months, six month performance of those 33 stocks as a basket versus the tech sector and the SP. One would say, well, I got to have a look at those. I mean, how tech stocks that have performed like this when tech has been destroyed? And that's the point. Now, not all stocks that are performing well of late have good patterns but a lot do. And I think we have some of them here and it's impressive stuff. And I think one should be long these names. All right, well, let's look at the XLK. That's the ETF that tracks the, the S&P tech sector. And one of the things about the XLK though, Carter, it is kind of a funky ETF. There's Visa in there. There's, you know, it's like AT&T and stuff like that. So I prefer to look at the QQQ. And, and again, I know you're doing something different here because like this XLK doesn't look particularly great to me right here. How about and you? It's the same chart as the Q. I mean, the Qs and the XLK yeah. have like a 90% correlation, right? So yeah. the question is, it's a full-on bullish to bearish reversal. It's rolled over. Yeah. There's no question about it. And we were, as discussing just how far can the bounce last? Does it end here? Does it have a little bit more? But if just remembering that, burn that on your mind's eye, let's roll through these other charts and look at the difference. So I think the first one, I mean, let's toggle there for fun. There's the tech sector. I mean, it's been going out for seven months and it's down 30%. And there's IBM at a 52-week high trying to break out. Look at the next one. There's San Mina. Look at the next one. It doesn't matter what the thing is, CTS. These are stocks are all exhibiting tremendous, you saw it on the table, one week, one month, three months performance. Look at the next one, Amdocs. And so the key here is this is what, is what portfolio management is all about. You know, you could buy one of these could be completely wrong, but in aggregate, owning this type or this theme, whatever they are, old tech, I used old fashioned tech or dollars, they matter. Now at the other end, then there's this opportunity. They're bearish to bullish reversals, things that are just carving out bottoms. Look at WEX. Right. Look at the next one. So these are these are laggards, but at least they started to turn, whereas the QQQ hasn't yet. Western Digital and you know the next one, the final one. The point is that I think there's always opportunity to do stock selection, regardless of what a sector is doing. 
Yeah, no, no doubt about it. Sorry about that. I was looking at the IBM. You know, IBM's trading at about 15 times this year. And again, I know you don't care about that sort of thing, but it's interesting to see that some of these names, and again, you could have, you know, thrown up Intel and Cisco and Oracle. And I think we've done that, you know, over the last, you know, six months or so. And, And there were times when they were showing some pretty good relative performance. And so when you're thinking about, oh, all these SaaS names are trading at multiples of sales that would be really expensive on a PE basis, right? There are some names that we just forget about because they didn't exhibit the sort of growth in the raging bull market, right? They underperform. But I do think when you look at the performance of those 33 stocks over those different periods of time, it makes a great case of why you should be paying attention, not to just the names that are the most active every day on the sheets. Let's talk about a name that's about to get a lot more active, at least in volumes, Carter. Definitely options volumes, but look at Amazon. So they had this 20 for one split. One of the things that's really interesting, and I know you and I probably talked about this, you know, stock over a dozen times in the last year, you know, last July 4th, I think it was that week of, that's when Jeff Bezos, the founder of the company, he stepped down, he handed over the reins to Andy Jazzy. He's the guy who had been running their AWS. That was the engine, if you think about it, for growth and so many other parts of the company because it had these really fat margins. It was attacking a really good business, a strong secular shift. And we know that their retail business has very low margins, right? And they've been plowing back any profits they had into that. Well, it's not, I mean, maybe it's curious. I mean, the stock topped out well before the NASDAQ Carter last summer. It was at an all-time high last summer as Bezos exits stage left here. You know, the stock was up 5% this morning, the day that it kind of split. Talk to me a little bit about the psychology around splits. And then let's talk about the underperformance in this name, because we know that it had that V reversal. It came out of the pandemic faster than any other stock. You know why? They created a vaccinated supply chain during the throes of the pandemic, and they were rewarded for it in the stock market. But it seems like for the last year or so, they have not been. Yeah, I mean, look, one of the all-time great commercial enterprises to ever exist, just as IBM was the most valuable company at one point in the world, things like Amazon and Apple take on that mantle. And then, you know, you don't always have a perfect run and Amazon's been badly hurt. The question is, does the formation that we have, something of a head and shoulders, something of a double bottom, does it conclude and you've drawn the lines, does it conclude by finally getting up to where the overhead supply starts, which would also be a gap fill? That's my hunch. And so I'm on the long side here. Yeah. So, but to be very clear, you're on the long side to play for the gap fill, but if it were to get there kind of quickly, let's just say, you know, over the next few weeks, as we go into quarter end, is that something, is that an area where you'd kind of let go, especially if it was a bit of a trade? Absolutely. That's what good technique is. You can't you can't wet it, you know, acknowledging what it is. If you're buying for a breakout, that can really carry and run. If you're buying for a bounce that's already underway, which it is well underway, that you think has got a little bit more to run with a, a clear objective where the overhead supply is, where the gap is filled. If and as those things are met, the gap is filled, the overhead supply is, is reached. Yeah, flip it around, get short. 
Yeah. Well, it's interesting. You know, that's that stock at the lows was down 46%. You do the math on that. I mean, in market cap terms, it was north of 2 billion or excuse me, 2 trillion, 2 trillion, you know, like at its highs there. So, you know, it had a lot lobbed off there. Let's kind of like weave this through a little bit, this kind of this narrative. So again, like I said, they had their CEO of, oh, I don't know if I said this, the CEO of their retail business resigned last week. He'd been in the company for 23 years. And we know that their retail numbers were a bit weak and they made some execution issues. They kind of overbuilt and their logistics overbuilt in some of their, you know, their warehouses and all that sort of stuff that really hit margins here. We have an uncertain consumer and that was confirmed by some of the guidance that we heard from Walmart and Target. And we've already talked about some of these names over the last couple of weeks, but those were massive gaps here. So I kind of wanted to revisit Walmart. You just mentioned like a Salesforce, which had good numbers after being down 50% or good numbers on a relative basis. Stock rally, rally was not that impressive. And when you look at like a Walmart on market cap terms, how much that really gave up after their earnings, and then it continued lower and the bounce it's had, look where it got rejected. Speak to me about this level here on the Walmart chart. What are you doing with it here? Yeah. So it's important just how relevant levels are. I mean, and, and this is the irony. I mean, think about if we were closing our eyes and we were just looking at the Q's and K's of Walmart and looking at where their guidance was. And we talked to a few analysts. Based on what? It, I mean, no one can explain other than the chart where it bounces, why it stops there. It's not a DCF level here. It's not a price to sales. It's not about how Walmart is versus Target versus Dollar General versus Amazon. It's all technical. And happily for those of us who look at charts, there's a huge swath of the population that will never look at charts. God bless them. They're never going to win. What do we know? It was re-rated so aggressively that those lows are likely to stand for a long time. Or said differently, were we to go back to the lows and undercut those lows, definitely the S&P 500 is lower and meaningfully so. Yeah, and, and, and I guess you can make that assessment with a Walmart because it's such a big stock. Again, it's got like, you know, $500 billion in annual sales, right? So like, that's just, you know, it's an important, it's a bellwether and the guidance that they gave, you know, a lot of people didn't think it deserved to be down as much as it was, Carter, you know, based on the guidance that they gave. And that's really telling too. Let's look at Target though, a competitor and, you know, a much smaller competitor. But I think the guidance that their CEO gave, or at least the commentary was also pretty bearish. It was bearish from the standpoint of it was the speed in which their business turned. And I think that was really important. So I'm just curious, any takes there on this target or it's really the same thesis? It's the same thesis, same premise, an aggressive re-rating to where, quote, the stock belongs, right? After the news, and most news is released when markets are closed, the investment community and everyone goes to work. What did this really mean? Let's redo the model. Let's call so-and-so. He's really good on target. And then they gap it to where it belongs. And then notice it starts to basically find its footing. This is what a pair of twos is like. You're selling volatility here is what makes sense to me. You know, it's likely to be here. And there are people who are really bearish, think it's going to do another down leg. It's not going to do that right away. And people think it's going to bounce, going to bounce. Sell volatility. Yeah, no, I, that makes sense to me. And again, I think you make a really good point about those prior lows. Let's see how the market's acting. Let's see how the stocks, those two in particular, act if they were to get back towards those lows. If they successfully kind of, you know, survive a test of those lows and the market finds its footings, you know, then that might be the opportunity. Real quickly here, we spent a lot of time on domestic names, but we did spend some time talking about multinationals who have exposure overseas. You want to look at Japan real quick. This is one that had, you know, the Nikkei has not been on my radar for a 
a long time, but I looked at your charts here, pretty compelling. Walk us through it here and then how you would play you know, your thesis in the Japan equities. We would agree if you looked at that relative to the S&P, it's doing very well relative, but let's draw the lines. We'll move quickly here. No lines now, first line, there's a trend line. Second way to draw the lines, it's head and shoulders. Put those two together, what do we have? We got the head and shoulders when you move above the trend line. Now, do the same thing on a longer term chart. So here's, there's the little head and shoulders. That, where did it stop? Watch this line. Look at this next. It stopped right at the, the level from which it broke out. Do another line. Where did it stop? It stopped on the trend line from the COVID low. Put it all together. I mean, there's the wedge. Put the last chart, put all the lines together. Nothing is random. Typically, most likely not random. It stops where it should on the ascending line since the COVID low, back to level from which it broke out. And it's day-to-day, week-over-week relative strength to the S&P 500 is very bullish. Yeah, no, those are great charts. And, you know, listen, if you want it, you can also make the case that probably on a valuation basis relative to, let's say, clearly here, maybe not Europe, but some other developed markets that Japanese equities look pretty attractive. And so, you know, the EWJ, talk to me about an ETF like this. These things sometimes, Carter, they seem like they move at like a glacial pace here. You know, does that matter to you when you look at some of these ETFs? It's like you kind of got to be in it to win it here to make some money. Yeah, and so... The beauty of having these two juxtaposed, let's go Nikkei, EWJ, it's the currency. So that that EWJ chart, if I change that and put it in yen, it would look like the Nikkei because that's in dollars. The question is, is this downtrend in the ETF, is it anything other than a counter trend move and makes new lows, or is this the beginning? My hunch is it's going to be a minor head and shoulders bottom and it's going to throw a little bit higher. All right. Listen, dude, we did it. I appreciate you stepping in here, man. We hope Guy, Guy Adami will be back tomorrow for Market Call 1 p.m. Eastern. So I want to thank Carter Braxton Worth of Worth Charting. If you guys like his charts, you can find him at worthcharting.com. He goes into great detail or much greater detail than he does here. And he's got those updates that come out on a daily basis. He also does some fun videos. So check it out. Have to thank our friends at FactSet. Again, all those beautiful charts and all the data that's just up here. It comes from FactSet. And thanks, of course, to opening exchange because they power this. They make this possible. So we'll be back tomorrow at 1 p.m. Eastern with Guy Adami. Carter, we'll see you later on on the week in Market Call and also on Fast Money. See you, bud. See you.